So in today's episode, I'm going to talk to you about the life-changing magic of doing the opposite. All right, so I have a confession to make. I can't stand following the herd because if I do, then the best that I can be is average. And I have zero interest in average. I want remarkable. And the only way to do that is to think different. So I'm studying game changers, trailblazers, rule breakers, awesome makers, and those crazy ones who are looking to change the world and sharing what I've learned so you can make remarkable happen in your life. My name is Dean Dwyer, and this is The Mindset Show. Hey, how are you doing, my friend? Dean Dwyer, you're listening to The Mindset Show, and um, I've got a kind of cool episode today. I'm going to try something a little bit different. I'm already getting emotional. I apologize in advance. Uh, Once again, I am sitting in my father's car, uh, which is in his garage, recording this episode. Uh, It is minus nine degrees Celsius out there right now. Uh, For those of you trapped in the Fahrenheit system, that is uh, 16 degrees Fahrenheit. So um, yeah, today's episode, I actually wanted to talk about the thing, the mindset that is going to be at the heart of everything that I do on this podcast, on my website, with my courses. And it's it's this idea of the life-changing magic of doing the opposite. And I've actually given that a name. I call it the 180-degree mindset. And what I want to do today, I've got a couple of stories to share with you. Um, and I also have a clip that I want to play. So this is a this episode is an experimental episode. It's a little bit different. Um, I'm actually going to start off the show um, sharing with you a clip from Seinfeld. Uh, I was a massive Seinfeld fan when it was out. Hard to believe it, it went off the air almost 20 years ago. The last episode was 1999. That's crazy, crazy how long ago that seems now. But uh, And obviously lots of classic episodes. But I would say that about maybe five or six years ago, uh, online they had a clip of an episode where George makes the decision that he is going to start doing the opposite of everything that he has done in his life. And I just want to play you a two-minute clip of that, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. It all became very clear to me sitting out there today that every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. (laughs) My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's often wrong. (laughs) Tuna, toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. (laughs) I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. (laughs) Untoasted with a side of potato salad. And a cup of tea. <laughs> uh, George, you know that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents <laughs> don't approach strange women. 
Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> yes, I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. So I, I love that clip. That clip just, I mean, it just, it cracks me up. And of course, after laughing hysterically, watching that entire episode is great. But um, I started thinking about it afterwards and I was like, wow, like that, as funny as that episode is, it's also extremely profound. At least I found it extremely profound. Like this idea of like, what if, what if you started approaching your life in those areas where you're not happy with the outcome that you're you're currently generating, what if you started to do the opposite? And, you know, when I, I started thinking more about this, I realized that there are a lot of people in the world who have created products and services and movements that are, in fact, the complete opposite of what the herd is doing. I'll give you a couple of really quick examples of people that I'm big fans of. The first is Tim Ferriss. Uh, back in 2007, Tim wrote a book called The 4-Hour Workweek, which was the complete opposite of how people saw work. Um, workaholics, people who were working 80, 100-hour weeks, uh, were put on a pedestal. And he came along and basically said, you know, I'm working four hours a week. Um, I mean, essentially, the premise of the book is, is to work less, is to find ways to automate your business so you could work less. That was a game changing idea. And uh, one of the reasons that the book ended up becoming a bestseller and is still an incredible seller to this day, um, you know, 11 years after, after it was published. Uh, somebody else who came along and did the complete opposite is a woman by the name of Brené Brown. Uh, she's another woman. I just love this girl. Um, she did a TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability. And essentially what she did is she took the concept of vulnerability that we've all considered to be a weakness. And she was able to prove that it's actually a strength and that it's essential for anybody that wants to have loving relationships, that vulnerability is the key to being able to do that. Vulnerability is the key to strength. And the third quick example is Susan Cain. Susan Cain wrote a book called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Won't Stop Talking. And she also essentially did the opposite. She took this concept of an introvert, something that I am, um, and basically, we've always sort of looked at it as uh, extrovert is a good thing, introvert is a bad thing. And she has basically flipped that on its head and said that like introversion is a strength, that we should be celebrating that, that we need people like that in our businesses, in our lives, that th they bring a dynamic to the equation that extroverts just simply cannot do. And so, uh, but there, and I've got countless case studies like that of people who, um, um, have created incredible businesses and had incredible impact on their own lives by 
taking this concept of doing the opposite and uh, applying some sort of protocol that allows them to create massive change in their life. So um, I was I was thinking about how I was going to sort of talk about this episode. And one of the things that came to mind, and I want to tell you a story right now, was that I realized unknowingly uh, back in university, sorry, I just realized that the seatbelt is uh, making a move on me here. It's leaving the car apparently because it's moving. What's happening? Um, so I realized that unknowingly back in university, I had applied the 180 degree mindset. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't my idea. Um, so here, here is the story. So I am 22 years old. I am in my final year of my undergrad and I am applying, reapplying, sorry, uh, for a position of being a Don. Now a Don, I lived on campus and a Don was responsible for a floor. Um, the, the kind of uh, residence that I lived in uh, were apartment style. So, so residences, ha- residence, each residence, there were eight on a floor and there were four to six people in each apartment. And so the Don was responsible for that floor, m- mostly for social outings and stuff like that, but you know, solving the occasional problem. I had been a Don the year previously, so I was reapplying for the position again. And I'm standing in line for my interview and I'm talking with a buddy of mine who is also reapplying. He was also a Don the year before and he is reapplying as well too. Now, I have no idea how we got onto this topic because this whole idea of a our philosophies in terms of approaching an interview came up and I can tell you right now, I didn't have a philosophy um, at all. In fact, I didn't have an original thought of my own probably until I was about 27. So, I don't know. I clearly I did not bring up this topic. So he brought it up. And so he started telling me his philosophy. And his name was Dave Croswell, just a great guy, uh, hung out with him for most of university. And um, he was it was interesting about Dave was he was two years older. He had actually been out in the workforce for a couple of years. And back when you're 22 and somebody is 24, like he seemed so much older, but he had been out in the workforce. And so he was just sharing his interview philosophy. And he said, you know, he said, when I go into an interview, I go in with the mindset that I am going to get that job. And if I don't get it, then it means that somebody else had a better interview than I had. And he, he talked about some of, you know, like, like he would, you know, he would do research on the company, research on the owner. Uh, he would talk to local businesses to find out more about that particular company. If there were office workers, secretaries, I, I know that's not technically the right term anymore. But uh, when he was telling the story back then, they were still called secretaries. Uh, you know, he would talk to the secretaries to find out, you know, more sort of inside sort of inside scoop on the business and the owner and those sorts of things. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, my mind is just like, pow, like mind blown because I, I was the complete opposite. I went into everything in my life with the idea that it probably, it wasn't going to work out, uh, that I was probably not going to get the job, that I was probably not going to get that date. Uh, I was probably not going to get anything that I asked for. And I, uh, I mean, I'm going to go in to a little bit more detail later on about, about more about my sort of whole mindset with that. But I know why I did that. Um, I am extremely sensitive to uh, rejection. And maybe we all are, but I, I think, I know for me, I really, t- I really took it, and I still, I have to really work through this. I take it to heart. 
Um, and at the, at that time for me, it was, uh, when I got rejected, I'm putting that in quotation marks. Um, you know, I, I took that as I, Dean, the person was being rejected, but Dave's approach to his interviews absolutely just, it blew my mind. So here's what I'd like to do with that story. Before, um, I've got a couple of things that I, I want to kind of dive into. But before I leave that story, it's not, a, it's not a really long story. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to break out, I'm going to call these invisible insights. Because I think that these are the things that people might not hear. When they hear this story, they'd be like, hmm, that's interesting. But I, there were three things that I took from that story that I want to share with you that you may not have thought of. And here is the first thing about David and his whole approach to going in for a job. He assumed the best case scenario versus the worst case scenario. Like I always went into everything and I just, I assumed the worst. Now, Tim Ferriss did a really interesting podcast, not a podcast, uh, it was a TED Talk and he called it fear setting. And essentially it was this idea of you come to grips with the worst case scenario, which is, Really powerful. Like, and I think that, that a lot of us don't act because we are afraid of the worst case scenario. And it's really important to understand what is the worst case scenario and can I live with that if it happens? It's, that's a really powerful strategy, but that's not how I used it. I, I was protecting myself. I was like, Oh, I'm not going to get it. And, uh, but when I think about Dave's approach, like that is so significant that he would go in with this idea of like, I'm going to get that job. And I, I was thinking, I think, how does that, imagine how you walk into the room of somebody who's interviewing you and you're clearly coming off as a, you're coming off, your confidence is showing, um, everything with your body language is positive, um, how you answer questions. Like you, you can't help but impress people if you're going in there thinking that this job is yours to lose. And I, again, I was sort of thinking about the opposite. I would, like, I can only imagine how I went into these things. Uh, I mean, you know, I obviously would try to pump myself the best I could, but still, at the at the base of everything that I was doing, I didn't think I was going to get the job, or I didn't think I was going to get that date. And I was almost making the prophecy come true because everything about me was communicating a message that was counter to what it was that I desired. So that was the first thing. The second thing that really blew me away was that he decided in advance how he was going to interpret the interview outcome. That's huge, right? Because if we don't actually think through a situation and sort of work through all the possible outcomes, then what ends up happening is we are fueled by emotion. So when something happens, it's pure emotion. And typically when we are emotionally driven, we draw the wrong conclusions. We go to the wrong places. We get dark. And I thought, man, that is so amazing. Like to think through in advance and think, okay, here are all the possible scenarios that can happen. Here's what they will mean. Here's how I'm going to interpret those. That is, that is an incredible skill. In fact, any of you who, um, 
have taken my willpower course will know that uh, I designed something called the score method. And the first method in the score method, the first uh, step in the score method is, is exactly that. You decide in advance what you want the outcome to be. That is a, an amazing skill to begin to develop because then we begin to sort of bypass emotion, which as I just said, that will take us to some pretty dark places. And the third thing that I wanted to mention that he did that I thought was amazing, and it ties directly into the second, but um, because he had decided in advance, uh, what a lot of us do again, when we when something doesn't go the way we want, we we end up interpreting it as some sort of a character flaw. Um, this is a story that I'd like to tell on another podcast, but back in grade eight, I had to give a speech uh, to a principal who was uh, leaving school. This was at our graduation. I forgot my entire speech. And um, I literally remember thinking, I am not a public speaker. And I went years and years thinking that, falsely thinking I wasn't a public speaker because of that one event. And we do that in a lot of areas of our lives where we take a negative event and we turn it into a character flaw. What I loved about what what he did was that by deciding in advance, he was actually focusing not, like if he didn't go the way he wanted, it wasn't a character flaw. It's like, oh, I'm not worthy. He was focusing on the skill of interviewing. And when you focus on the skill, you can improve that with practice. So if he didn't get that job, which he did get the job, but if he didn't get it, then when he goes back, he can say, okay, um, you know, what happened in my interview process that I need to work on? You know, maybe I need to be better prepared. Maybe I need to be more relaxed. Maybe I need to be more forthcoming when I don't know an answer to a question, whatever it happens to be. But when you focus on the skill, you can actually improve on that. When you default to a character flaw, then that's it. The learning has stopped. And you've essentially, what you've done is you've taken your world and you've shrunk it a little bit. The world, your world has now become smaller. And every time something doesn't work in our favor and we default to a character flaw, our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. When we begin to look at things in terms of skills, we expand our world because you can learn to get better at these things. So, you know what I wanted to do is, um, I said this whole mindset, the 180 degree mindset, the life changing magic of doing the opposite has been huge for me and it will continue to be huge for me moving forward. And I just wanted to share, just to get some ideas flowing for you, I wanted to share three areas where I am actually applying that idea. Now, I'm not doing it in every single area of my life. Um, there are some areas I'm just not ready yet. Um, to do that, and there's other areas where I don't even realize at this point in time that it's something is not working for me, and I need to be looking at a different approach. But I have identified three areas where I I am in, um, doing the opposite. My God, I can't even talk this morning. Uh, it's like English is my second language, people. Welcome to the Dean Dwyer ESL show, uh, where English might be my first language, but it could be my second. And today it's my second. Anyhow, here's the first uh, the first way that I use it. Um, I now accept 100 responsibility for my life. And that's the complete opposite of the way that I have approached my life in the past. In the past, if something went wrong, um, I wasn't afraid to say, yeah, I, I had a, I had a role in that, but there was always somebody else that also had a role in that. Um, I realized that that is not 
productive for me that at the end of the day, if something has gone wrong, it's my fault. And again, I know some people will disagree with that and say, well, no, no, but Dean, there are the moment you say, but you uh, immediately stop the opportunity to learn. And so this is something I have to really work at because my instinct is to say, yeah, but, but the moment that I say, but the learning stops. And so I now am working at accepting 100% responsibility for anything that goes wrong in my life. And by doing that, I essentially empower myself to, to have better control over certain outcomes in my life. I can't control everything, but I can control what I do and how I respond to things. So that's the first way that I'm using it. Again, this is going to be a lifelong journey, but that's the first way. The second thing is, and, and, and I don't know, uh, maybe you can relate to this, but I'm the kind of guy that I don't ask for what I want. Um, I, a lot of times, like, so for example, conversations going on in my head, I'm thinking about what I'd like to say or what I want, what I'd like to ask for, but I don't ask it because I'm afraid to offend somebody or I'm afraid to put them on the spot or whatever. And uh, I realized that that does not serve me well because what ends up happening is I leave and then I've got this whole conversation going on in my head. Why didn't I say this? Why didn't I ask for that? And I have regret when I, when I don't do those things. So now my, my strategy moving forward is ask for what I want. And and then let other people decide. You know, it's okay. Like and uh, and then again, I I I take Dave Croswell's uh, approach of like, okay, so if I ask for what I want, what's the worst case scenario? Well, they could say no. How am I going to deal with that? Well, if they say no, then you know they say no, and then maybe I can figure out another way to ask that. Maybe there's someone else I can ask. Um, but I my life is so much more fulfilling when I when I get out of my head and I just simply ask for what I want and then let other people, other people can, you know, decide whether or not they're going to do that or not. But I don't need to censor myself. And so again, that's a hard, that one's a really, really hard one for me. But I'm really um, getting into this act of asking for what I want. And one of the strategies I'm using is oftentimes, after I leave an interaction, I realize, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. Um, There's nothing wrong with following up with an email. And I do this quite a bit, where um, you know, I'll follow up and say, Hey, listen, you know, I know we were talking about this. Um, I forgot that this is one of the things that I want in, or I wanted to ask for or whatever it happens to be. But there are lots of different strategies to do it as an introvert. Email works really well for me. I also like to have a written record of things. Um, and I find that with email, I'm a lot more, I think through things beforehand. And so I can communicate things better and make sure that, Everything is is exactly the way that I want. But that's so the second thing is I'm now asking for what I want, which is the complete opposite uh, of what I used to do. And the third thing, and this is uh, uh, probably my most challenge. No, not probably. This is my most challenging one. And hopefully the wording this this might sound a little bumpy, but I don't let other people's emotional tantrums or outbursts or reactions hijack my emotions. So I'm the kind of guy that if we're having a conversation and I say something and it bothers you, I'll see it in your facial. Like I'm very um, aware of people's body language and facial expressions. And so I, I'm, I'm pretty good at reading other people's emotions. And I respond to stuff like that. And if you're not responding positively to something that I've just said, um, I, I tend to – I, I – 
get hijacked with that that emotion that you're experiencing and then I begin to feel it. So maybe I get defensive or I get angry um, or I get emotional and I realize that that has never served me, that that always gets me in trouble. And it's one of those things that I always have regret afterwards. I'm like, oh, I wish that I could have, you know, had more grace and dignity. Um you know, a, a couple of podcasts ago, I shared the story about the guy that I worked with who who just lost his mind on the, about the fact that I was deleting emails. Um, I was so like his anger um, fueled my anger. Now, fortunately, I didn't say anything and I didn't do anything, but I was still like his emotional outburst. Sorry, I'm going to call it a tantrum. His tantrum hijacked my emotional uh, response. And I was essentially mirroring him, but I didn't say anything or do anything. What I would have liked to see happen and what I'm now working on now is not interpreting somebody's response, simply observing it and letting them own it. I don't have to take ownership of their emotional whatever there is that they're going through. I can just simply observe it. And then go, hmm, okay, well, I'll take that into account. Or let me think about that and I'll get back to you. But that's, um, that. I mean, that's my biggest challenge because I am so emotionally driven. And so just allowing people to own their stuff. Uh, I have another word that I use, but I want to keep the podcast podcast clean. But let other people own their issues. I don't have to take ownership of that. I don't need to let it hijack my emotional responses to things that I can still simply observe and then simply respond to the words and then be able to walk away knowing that I've acted with grace and dignity. Now, that is going to be my challenge until I leave the planet, my friends, because I, uh, it's, it's just a default. I just, it's like somebody lights the fuse and I can just, it just like, shh, it's burning fast. But um, those are three examples of where, uh, where I'm using it. And um, I got a question that I wanted to ask you. But before I do that, I actually have a, another story that I wanted to share. And I want to go back to Dave Croswell's story. So, you know, he told me this whole thing about, uh, you know, how he approached interviews. So I actually took that idea and I used it to get my first teaching job. So this was uh, about two years later. So um, at the time that Dave told me that story, I said I didn't have an original thought in my head. I had no idea what to do with that. But there was something about that that I knew, I think back in the dark recesses of my mind, I knew that this was like a game-changing idea. And so I just sort of took it and I put it on a shelf. And sure enough, two years later, um, I meet a girl one summer who is living in Toronto and I am just finishing teacher's college, so I am now ready. I'm, I'm qualified to be a teacher. The plan was to go to Australia, uh, but I met this girl and I thought, ah, you know what, I got to see if this is going to work. And so I ended up moving to Toronto on the first day of school to see if I could get a job. And I ended up that I, um, I, had, I had put out a few applications but I had to get a place. So I didn't have a place to stay. And I, I was a little, I was quite leery actually about getting a place because I didn't know where I was going to be working. And I didn't want to get a job somewhere that was, you know, going to be like an, an hour commute away. But at the end of the day, I was just like, this, this place came up that was too good to turn down. So 
I thought, oh, I'm going to have to take this place and just hope for the best. And sure enough, um, there was a school down the street, about a five-minute drive from where I was living, and they had an opening, a teaching opening. And I'm like, oh, man. So I walked. So I take Dave Croswell's advice, and I, I go down to the school um, to go and check it out. And I see the school, and I'm like, wow, this is a really – I walk through the halls, and I thought, this is a really great school. I just had a really great vibe. So I was super excited. So I, I send in my application, and I get an interview. And so I rem- and I still remember the day. So it's a fall day. Um, sun is out, and I am walking to this interview. So it's about a, a 15-minute walk from the place that I was living at. I'm walking to this interview, and the whole time I'm thinking, I'm going to get this job. I am going to get this job. And if for some reason I don't, it's because somebody else had a better interview than I had. But I am going to get this job. And it, it was so interesting. I um, uh, So when I get there, I, I'm talking to the secretary. And she says, you know, um, they they had already finished interviewing for the position. But and then my interview and my my interview, <laughs> my my resume came in and she said, the reason you got um, the interview was because they really liked your cover letter and my cover letter. I did the opposite of what most people do. I thought I don't want to be all politically correct. And, you know, this is why I think that I deserve the job. So I actually uh, stole an idea from a friend of mine who was in neuroscience and uh, he was talking, he had written an, um, a cover letter where he talked about the transfer of energy. And I thought, oh, that is brilliant. And so that's, in my cover letter, I talked about about th- that a teacher's job, I didn't talk anything about teaching. I talked about this transfer of energy and creating enthusiasm in the classroom and that kids would respond to me and how I responded to them and this whole thing. I wish I kept a copy of it. But anyway, that uh, cover letter, I did the opposite of what everybody else did, which allowed me to stand out from the big stack of of. Uh, interviews or uh, resumes that they were getting and they had done 35 interviews so I was the very last person they were interviewing um, so I go in and I, I still remember there were there were two of them there was the principal and the vice principal and there were two chairs I don't know why they had two chairs out but uh, I sat down in one I crossed my leg you know the man the way the way guys you know they're trying to be cool they cross their legs and uh, I've got my arm, my other arm, my right arm over the other chair. And I was so relaxed. They were asking me questions and I was just answering them honestly. And if I didn't know, I said, well, you know, I said, I've never actually experienced that before. But if I had to sort of guess off the top of my head of how I'd respond, this is what I might try and do. And um, I don't know. I was so relaxed. And I, the way that I was thinking about this when I thought I'm going to get this job is talk to them like I'm talking to friends. Like just show up like I would show up for coffee. And uh, I walked out of that interview and I was like, wow, like that went really, really well. Like I'm really happy with how I presented myself. I just, I wanted to show up as Dean. I wanted to be me. I wanted them to see me. Like this is, this is who you will get if you hire me. And uh, it worked. I fooled them. I got the job. And <clears throat> and that was all because of Dave Croswell. I, I, had I not had that conversation with Dave, um, I know exactly what I would have been doing. I would have been walking down going, well, I'm probably not going to get this job. Um, and I would have gone in there all tense and, you know, sitting, uh, you know, like I'm sitting in church, you know, my knees together and my hands on my lap and uh, coming off like a wiener, you know. Well, uh, I believe that the recent 
studies on, uh, you know, I would have sounded like a complete nerd. Uh, but by going and thinking I was going to get the job, I showed up as myself and they liked who I was and they hired me. Um, so um, it works. It really does work. That is the end of the show. But before we go, um, I wanted to leave you with this thought because I said this is an idea. This is going to be the foundation of everything that I do. I am constantly going to be coming back to this. I'm going to be sharing other examples of other people who are uh, implementing this 180-degree mindset, this magic of doing the opposite. But here's my question for you. Um, How would your life change if you began to look at doing the opposite in the areas of your life where you are not getting the results that you desire? It's a really, I'm telling you, this is a really powerful concept and it's something that you should seriously consider and start implementing because it will do wonders for you. That's it, my friend. Uh, Have a great day and remember, keep being awesome. So that is it for today's episode. But before you go, let me leave you with two things. First, what's the one big thing you took from this show? It could be something I said, but it could also be something completely unrelated that bubbled to the surface while listening. Don't ignore your thoughts. If they clawed their way to the surface of your gray matter, then it means they're important. Acknowledge them, honor them, and act on them if possible. Second, would you consider leaving a review? If so, here's my offer. Copy your iTunes review and send it to me via email with the subject line, my iTunes review. And in return, I'm going to send you a thank you audio, which will include me reading your review out loud with my authentic real-time response of how your words have impacted me. I don't know about you, but I think that's going to be awesome. Anyhow, that's it, my friend. I have to bounce. (laughs) Listen to me trying to be one of the cool kids. Have a great rest of today. And remember... You're just one mindset away from a bigger, more awesome future. I'm Dean Dwyer, and you were listening to The Mindset Show.